get in 2 Corinthians. We're going verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians, doing some, uh, some teaching here. We'll teach through this book, and I uh, hope it'll be a, a blessing and a help to you. We'll go ahead and pick up, uh, let's pick up in verse number 6. We'll read the text, and uh, I'll read the portion that I think I'm going to get through tonight. I actually have the entire chapter ready, but I don't want to rush it too much. I want to make sure that I uh, cover what the Lord wants me to cover. And uh, we'll, I'm thinking for sure we should get through verse 14, but we'll just see how it goes. Nice part about teaching is I can kind of abruptly cut it off when I'm ready. Amen? So, if we're here till 8.30, it is just because I was a jerk. I wasn't ready yet, so, alright? First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 6. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which ye also suffer. Or whether ye be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead." Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be, may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God we had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you for your words. Thank you for a church. It's a blessing to have a place to gather in the middle of the week, Lord, and this many people, Lord, that are interested in in uh, making time in their schedule after work in the middle of a busy week to get out here and gather together again and sit down and just hear the Word of God preached and taught. And God, I pray that you'd bless these people for the effort they put in. I pray there'd be a great spirit in this room that you would calm our hearts, that you'd calm our minds, that you'd comfort us, and that you'd help us, Lord, to make sense out of the things that happen to us in life. Uh, Help us to be wise about this and give us the learning we need tonight. That'll strengthen us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Pastor Lentz used to say to me, and you've heard me say it before, and you're going to hear me say it a whole lot more before I die, all right? He used to say, God will take a man, God will break a man, and then God will make a man. The funny thing about that is I kind of thought, when I heard that statement, I kind of thought that was a one-time thing. I'll never forget, I was pastor in that church in Illinois, and I had left Brother Lentz's uh, institute where Grace and I were at when we first got married, his, his church, and there was a local Bible institute out of his church that's now the Bible Doctrine Institute, but it was Blue Ridge Bible Institute back in that day. Brother Lentz started that. And uh, we were there for a couple of years, and then we left and moved back up here because Anna was on the way, and uh, there was just no work. I had no insurance. I had to take care of my kid. I had a job waiting for me, and so I came up here for a year. And he had given me, Brother Lentz had given me a couple different churches. He said, you can go try these out. These are good places you can land. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's the best I know of for you up there. So we had been doing that for a year. And then a church in Illinois called and asked me to come pastor. And I went and asked Brother Lentz about that after we had gone to Illinois, candidated for the church. And then that's basically like job interview, but you go and you preach and they assess you and all this junk. So then I, I went from there, we drove out to Fayetteville, where Grace is from, in North Carolina. On our way back, we stopped by Brother Lentz's church, heading back to Michigan. And he told me, don't do it. He said, don't take that church. He said, them country folks will chew you up and spit you out, and I'm telling you, it ain't going to work. Well, I got back up here, and I got thinking. They called, you know, we had the best vote for you Everybody that's candidated for us, we had the closest to a majority vote for you. And, and, you know, I just figured, well, you know, the old man, you know, he's just a man, you know. And we don't worship men. We follow God. And I think God's calling me. And he tried to tell me, he said, you know what, he'd always tell me, slow down. 
Slow down. God's not in a rush. Slow down. But you know me. I went out there and I took that church and six months we were there. But three months into that church, he held the Carolina Classic. It was his annual uh, revival meeting. And I'm pretty sure that year that Brother Peacock was preaching and Brother Massa was preaching. And I think Brother Lentz was also preaching too. But I remember going and I think it was Brother Lentz that was preaching that night. And uh, that actually was uh, the graduation for Blue Ridge Bible Institute. So all the institute students were there for that meeting. That wasn't the, I don't know if that was the Carolina class. I don't think so. I think that was the first pastor school. That's what it was. It was the first pastor school. So now I was a pastor and I went to that. And there was the graduation on Friday night, which now is the Jubilee. And I remember, so Brother Lentz was preaching. And I remember Brother Lentz preaching that message. And, and his point of the message at the end was, are you willing to be broken? If that's what it takes for God to use you, are you willing for God to break you? And I got up out of my pew and I went down and I remember I was kneeling down on this side at the platform and I just poured my heart out to God and I told him anything, anything, anything it takes for you to use me the way you use him, meaning Brother Lentz, whatever it takes, I want it. I'm willing. By the time I got back to Illinois, I cannot tell you what a mess my entire life was. The church was coming apart. I'll spare you the gory stories, but literally, literally almost fistfights with deacons, like blocking me physically in a line trying to keep me from getting to the pulpit when I enter in the door of the church. They're standing there waiting for me. And I'm like, get out of my way. They're like, you're not getting up there until we talk. And I had my Bible in my hand, and I folded it like that, because just so you fellas know, anything can be turned into a weapon if you know what you're doing. See how flimsy these things are? Yeah, but when you crease that thing like that, that's super thick, and and you put his teeth out. You understand what I'm saying? And I folded that thing in my hand. I said, get out of my way. And I made it up into the pulpit, and I preached. But, I mean, I am telling you, it came unglued. The women went after her. I mean, went after her. Like, you don't have time for the stories. It was bad. And I remember leaving Illinois so broke that I had to borrow gas money from my father-in-law. You talk about humiliated. And we drove back to Hope Baptist in Toledo, Ohio, and we were there for three years, but the problems didn't go away. We got to a point, I got to a point, My poor wife had to deal with it with me because of my stupid decisions, but I was literally crushed. You know, that is what God had to do to me to get me to the point where I was willing to come here. He said, God takes a man, that's the call to preach or the call to service if you're not called to pastor. Then God breaks a man. He has got to get you to a point where you're broken and you're done and you're weak and you don't have a will of your own anymore in order to remake you into what he wants you to be. It's crazy to me because as you study your Bible, it's wild that we could miss that concept. Look at David's life. Look at Joseph's life. Look at Elijah. Look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Look at Job. Look at Paul. What man or woman anywhere in the Bible can you find that God used greatly, that did something phenomenal with their life, that truly served God, you find me one that wasn't broken at some point or another. You find me one that didn't have hardship and heartbreak and disappointment and personal failures and family failures and life just tearing them apart. Folks, that is the reality of what it is to serve Jesus Christ. Everybody admires the ability to be a blessing. Everybody admires that great preacher that just God uses them to speak to your heart or that great teacher that, man, that was wild, that was great, or that Christian that can just come up and is such a comfort and, you know, has a gift. I mean, my wife particularly has a gift. She'll be standing in the, in the grocery line at the grocery store and some 60-year-old lady in front of her will turn around and just start dumping her entire life story on my wife. I mean, she's like standing there like, what is happening right now? You know, it's, it really is a gift where people feel comfortable to say, hey, I need to talk to somebody and you're the one I want to talk to. 
You look at that and you say, man, I wish I was that kind of a Christian. I wish I was able to minister to people. I wish I was used of God like that. I wish I could preach like Brother Peacock. I, I wish I could tell those running homilies like he does and draw the word pictures. And Isn't that amazing? But the, the truth of the matter is really everybody has their opportunity to be used of God, but very few people do with their life and make the decisions at those points that get them to the place where God can use them like that. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. I want to be that person. I want God to use me, really. You honestly want God? How bad do you want God to use you? Bad enough to suffer? Bad enough to be thrown to the side, bad enough to be broken, bad enough to be humiliated, bad enough to see your entire life and everything you wanted it to be not be what you wanted it to be and have it all turned upside down and spun around backwards and then God says, now that's what I want from you and you say, but that's not what I wanted. Do you want God to use you? Bad enough is the question. Paul wanted God to use him. And I'll tell you honestly, This is hard to say, and I'm sorry to say it, but the truth of the matter is, and I got this also from uh, Brother Lentz and from Brother Peacock, all my mentors, they got it from their mentors. So you're getting it from, you know, the best of the best. Everybody just idolizes, you know, oh, Dr. Ruckman. Yeah, do you know what Dr. Ruckman went through to be Dr. Ruckman? Other preachers couldn't sustain what he sustained to be used like he was used. And preachers are a lot tougher than you think they are. Bible believing preachers, a lot tougher than you think they are. You know what they'd say? Misery produces ministry. You want to be a minister? Then guess what? God will be willing to make you a minister. But before he can make you a minister, he has to let you taste misery. It is pressure that produces power. You cannot have the power, the power of God. Oh, the power, the power of God on him. Listen, you can't hack. You guys know what hacking is? You're all really northerners, aren't you? <laughs> you can't hack the power of God into existence. That's a that's a that's a preaching style where you know down south you get them all worked up and they, and the Bible says uh, and the uh, and the uh, and they think the more that they uh, and yell and scream and get all fired up that the more that they're bringing the power of God down. Hey, I've seen preachers stand behind the pulpit and never raise their voice and absolutely just, just unbelievably, unbelievably minister to the heart without a dry eye in the place the Spirit of God was there so strong that, man, you were afraid to even get up and go to the altar and never even move. You can't fake the power of God. You can't pretend it. When a man has got the touch of God on him, it is because there's been pressure in his life. When a Christian has the power of God on them, it is because there's been some pressure in their life that has produced that power. You see, a happy Christian that's been through some things, something has gone on. I'm telling you, whether you know the story or not, some things have gone on behind the scenes that has produced that power, and it's not pleasant. It's pressure that produces power. It's misery that produces ministry. Paul is talking about the ministry in 2 Corinthians and he's talking to the church about it. So he's not talking about it necessarily from a pastoral standpoint, although I defend what I said last week. 2 Corinthians is probably one of the best books to go with the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are to a pastor, right? No question about that. But 2 Corinthians is a great book about the ministry, but it's not just isolated to pastors. It's for the whole church. Notice in verse number 6, Paul is pointing out the problems, the misery, the pressure that's been in his life and how God is going to use that pressure. He says, and whether we, were affli- we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So he's saying that God uses his faithfulness through his problems to effectively help them stay faithful when they have problems. That's another way to sum up verse 6. So what he's saying is, listen, 
we were afflicted, whether we be afflicted, why, why does God allow problems in our life? Why are these afflictions, what is God going to do with these afflictions down the road? He said, whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation so that you can be consoled when you're in problems. When you watch somebody else who's a Christian go through hard times and then they go through hard times and they stay faithful to God and they're still in church and actually they're sweeter after the problem than they were before they went into the problem. You see the benefit that the problem brought in their life. You can step back in your own problems and say, wait a second, I'm not going to quit on God. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to cash in. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to act like God's not fair to me. Brother so-and-so also has some problems. And you know what? He made it through his troubles so I can make it through my troubles. Talking to Dave this afternoon, we were talking about the addition and some of the stuff that we have to work through and all that. And, and he told me, he said, you just wait. He said, God's already changed me. And you wait till I'm back. You're going to see it. I said, I believe it, brother. And I'm going to use that tonight in my message. What, what, what's going on? Well, they got, well, they're afflicted. They're really afflicted right now. And you know what happens in that affliction and all that pressure and all that misery? One of two things. They either start getting tough. He's under pressure and I'm miserable and I'm sick of it. And I can't stay. I can't believe this happened to me. This isn't fair. It's not my fault. Why would they? How come my life doesn't look like theirs? It's a great question. Do you know Ramona growing up was a really good kid before she was saved? She wasn't even a born again Christian. And she was one of those kids that wasn't the party animal, stayed away from trouble, tried to do right, was always sweet. She married Dave, and Dave wasn't... She married Dave. And you can ask him. She stayed faithful. She stayed sweet. She stayed kind. She got saved in the storefront over there. You know, when she got saved, a visiting preacher was there preaching. And after she got saved, she came to me and apologized. She said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? She said, I didn't get saved when you were preaching. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt your feelings. So I'm going, I don't care. You're saved, man. It's your eternal. That, that's, look, why, why wouldn't somebody else have multiple times now she's had cancer? Why, why wouldn't the party animals... The smokers, the dopers, the fornicators, the wild, you know. How come some of them do fine and somebody like Ramona? Well, well maybe it's because God says, I know her and I'm gonna, she's going to get sweeter and I'm going to be able to use her more after I afflict her, allow, allow the affliction a little bit. I don't think God does this stuff to people. But I think God signs off on it. Couldn't God stop it? Couldn't God say, no, not her. I'm not going to let that happen to her. Instead, God says, okay, we're going to let that go, but I know, I know her. Now, you think about that for a minute. you got two decisions. One of two things happens. You either get bitter and angry and tough and mean and nasty, or that pressure, that pain makes you sweeter. It softens your heart. You don't any longer look at other people's problems the way you used to. I'll never forget after Anna's surgery, she was 16 years old, man, she had a pretty extensive surgery, and after that surgery, somebody in the church was going to have a surgery, a knee replacement or hip replacement or something, and that just came up in conversation in the house about the surgery, and she just went, what? I looked at Grace, I said, did you see that? She said, yeah. Yeah, that'll change you, won't it? Now all of a sudden, you're not just like, oh, the surgery. Why? Because of your affliction. You see how God uses that to help you and to help other people, your consolation and salvation. Now, folks, that doesn't mean that if you don't have this consolation, you're going to lose your salvation, right? That, when you see the word salvation, your mind shouldn't automatically jump to going to hell or going to heaven. We use that word. Listen, if you've never been saved, you need to find out what the Bible says about being saved, Right? Being saved, not saved from a car wreck or saved from, you know, I need to be saved because I'm a heroin addict. I need the intervention from my heroin. Not talking about heroin. I'm talking about the fact that you are a sinner, that you were born a sinner, 
that in you that is in your flesh dwelleth no good thing, that you're, you're, you're really sinful before God, and you need Him to forgive you for all of your sins, your past sins that you've already committed, sins you didn't even know you were committing, your present sins you commit now, and your future sins you're going to commit further on in your life. You need to know that God has forgiven you for those sins, and by the blood of Jesus Christ has washed those sins away, and that if you drop dead right now, you go straight to heaven based on what the Bible says. That's, that's salvation from hell. That's eternal salvation. But there are other places in the Bible where the word salvation is used. I'll give them to you if you want to write them down. You can look them up later. There's a couple of them. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.16 is one, and 1 Timothy 2.15 is another. Look those up later. How about this one? A woman shall be saved in childbearing. So if you don't have kids, ladies, you're going to hell. That's not what it means. <laughs> How do I know that's not what it means? By the context. What he's talking about in the context is saving her life from destruction. It's not talking about saving her soul from hell. So when you read your Bible, don't assume that that word means that thing. Look at the context so that you don't wind up with some kind of a wacky doctrine. Like, so women that can't have children, they were, I guess we're Calvinists now. God didn't pick her. I mean, how does that work? You know what I mean? It's insanity. So this thing is not talking about salvation from hell. It's talking about salvation in the Christian life. All right? Which is, the effect, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So he's saying, you saw our pain and you saw us be faithful through our pain. So when you're in your pain, you get help from us. You get help from watching us suffer. Yeah, I don't like that. You like that? Are we having fun tonight? Isn't this a blessing? Now you know why the modern contemporary church will not teach verse by verse through the Bible and just come across the passages and deal with them when they get to them. We're not giving people Bible because people don't want Bible. That's the truth. You want God to use you? Then you've got to say, Lord, my life's a blank check. What happens, happens. You're God and you know it. Get me through it. And then when you get me through it, use me to help somebody else. That's what Paul's saying here. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Why? We don't want you to quit on God. You're not going to lose your soul, but you sure can lose your rewards. You sure can lose your Christian life. We don't want you to quit on God when you have hard times. You know what I have figured out? Hard times do not break people. Hard times expose what they actually were already. If you really want to serve the Lord, then the hard times will show that you really do, and they'll take you to the next level. You won't quit on God because of COVID. Pastor canceled service. I'm quitting. You know, one guy came and told me that uh, I, I was out of town and I'm, I'm hardly ever gone. I, I try to keep it that way. But I was gone. And so he came to me and told me that the reason he uh, started second guessing his doctrine and started looking into the Roman Catholicism and was leaving Bible believing Christianity and going back to Roman Catholicism was because I wasn't here that Sunday. Yeah, whatever, man. Okay, is that your way of like putting me in chains and making sure I never leave again? Or what are you trying to do? Like, that is ridiculous. It exposed what you actually are. Verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast. Notice that. Knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye be also of the consolation. You know, that's an important verse. You know why? You will see Christians quit serving God. You will get hurt in church. We've been preaching about that on Sunday morning. Christians will do things that you think a Christian should never do and would never do. That's going to happen. And what will come of it is this. You'll start doubting everybody if you're not careful. You'll start looking at everybody like, oh, he's a police officer. They're all rotten. Why? Because there probably are some bad eggs out there now. And the cotton-picking, godless news media jumps on every bad egg they can, and then they blast it all over the TV and all over every app that they can blast it on. It's in your face so much that you think the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of police officers out there that are super good guys. I know, I personally know a bunch of them that are super good guys. I won't apologize to anybody for that. If you hate them, then you hate me. I don't care. Because there's some bad eggs. 
You know, there are some rotten preachers out there. You know, there's some preachers out there that are in it for the money. They don't care about your soul. They don't care about giving you truth. They'll tell you one thing and the next guy the next thing to try to make sure that they're always politically playing everything just right because they want to keep driving their sweet cars and living in their sweet houses and keep make sure you give their, your, your sweet money to them. That doesn't mean every preacher's that way. Right? You know, not every Christian's going to quit. Not everybody that gets saved is going to you know, get saved. Oh, they all you know, come for a little while and then they disappear. Yeah, I mean, the Lord healed ten and only one came back to say thanks. Okay, one in ten, that ain't bad. Paul's saying, our hope of you is steadfast. I got some confidence in you. I realize that there's a God in heaven and that he saved your soul and you're here because you love him. You're here because you love his word. I have some confidence in you. You know, that'll help you a lot. It is okay to have some confidence in good people. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. That doesn't say you shouldn't put confidence in men. It says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. But I got some guys around here I got good confidence in. Why? Because of the Lord. Is <laughs> they love the Lord. I love the Lord and it works. That's why it works. Because we love the Lord. He's first. His word is first. What he's doing is first. His work is first. The ministry is first. We're second. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you're partakers of the sufferings, we see that you're suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. In other words, we know that if you want to see it, then you're going to see God in your problem. If you really want God, if that's what's in your heart, then in your pain, His comfort's going to show up and actually you're going to wind up growing spiritually because of your problem. We know this. I'm persuaded of this. So in other words, the hard times expose what you actually are. And I think most of you are really sincere. I hate to see hard times happen. You know, COVID did that for our church. I was, I was, I'll never forget it, man. I literally had to make a decision. Am I going to have a nervous breakdown? (laughs) Because I'm that uptight right now. And if I stay this way, that won't be good. Or am I going to literally just give it to God and not care? Well, I don't not care. No, like literally, like God, they're yours. I'm yours. We're going to ride this problem out and we're going to see what's standing afterwards. And if nothing is standing, then show me what you want from me next. They're yours. You know what great comfort that was? You know what, that, you know what COVID did? It proved something about our church. It proved that you really want to be here because when the doors open back up, here comes everybody. Oh, the prophets of doom were out there. Oh, you can't be closing the church. Yo, your church is going to fold. Your church is going to go under. We got to have... Hey, listen, man. I didn't know who was going to die and who wasn't yet. Roll your eyes all you want. At that time, we were not yet sure what was going on. And if you want to roll your eyes... At, nobody's rolling their eyes at me that I saw, but I'm not going to look in case you are. If you want to roll your eyes at me, you ain't never walked a mile in my shoes. Why don't you take the responsibility for whether or not Grandma Ferguson gets COVID and dies? Why don't that be your responsibility? Why don't you have to minister to the family when you pressured everybody to be in church because, bless God, we didn't know what was going on. It was worldwide. It was global. So we made the decision and trusted God. And guess what it didn't do? It didn't ruin our church. Why? Because God showed up. Because you want to be here for the right reasons. Look at verse 8. Your problems will be the same way. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, when you go study the book of Acts, you cannot find what he's talking about in verse 8. Nowhere in the scripture is this problem recorded. Paul's actually telling them in this verse, he's saying, listen, I had a huge problem on my hands. We were in a bad spot. And I'm just telling you, it got so bad. Look at his wording. We were pressed out of measure. In other words, Paul could not explain to anybody what it was like to be in the boat that he was in. Put it into words. I cannot put into words for you how I felt. 
I cannot explain to you the attack of the devil. I cannot explain to you what was going on in my mind and heart. I cannot explain to you the misery. I can't explain to you the pressure. There's no way for me to spell it out. If you haven't walked in those shoes, you cannot understand because I don't know how to word it. Words fail me for describing how bad this thing got. We were pressed out of measure. There was no measurement for it. Above strength. Paul. We're talking about a very strong guy. I mean, we know that, you know, especially historically speaking, what they say about him, he was a little, real little man. Look, he, he might have been a small man, but you don't get any tougher, more intelligent, stronger than the Apostle Paul from what I can see. That guy had a drive, man. And he's saying, my strength failed me in this problem. This thing was so bad that I was just cracking. Insomuch that I, we despaired even of life. He said, we thought we were going to die. We were convinced we were going to die. Now here's what I find interesting Paul's alluding to this problem. He's telling them that he had this problem, but he doesn't spell out for them what the problem was. Do you realize that God does some things in your life, shows you some things, works on you in some ways that God intends for you to keep to yourself? We live in this wide open society that's way too wide open. You know that sometimes God shows me things in the Bible and I'm like, oh, that'll preach. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't for preaching, that's for you. Brother Lynch used to say it this way, never give out the last half of your canteen. You know where he learned that? The jungles of Vietnam. You want to help your brother out okay, but don't give out the last half of your canteen. It's the same concept they tell you on the airplane. Put your oxygen mask on first and then put theirs on. Do you know sometimes God will show you some things and deal with you about some things and put you through some things? He doesn't want you telling everybody about it. Ain't nobody's business. Keep it to yourself. That's what Paul's doing. Look at verse 9, if you would, please. In verse number 9, he says this, But we had a sentence of death in ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. He said we were literally at a point where we thought we were going to die and we were good with it. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. He said, I did not care if I survived or not. I wasn't trusting in me. My strength was gone. My hope was gone. I had no solutions. I wasn't looking to myself. I just told God if I die, I die. That's how bad Paul's problem got. Look at verse 10. He said, but we trust in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So what are you saying is this? He said, God delivered us from a great death, didn't he? Did God deliver your soul from hell? You say, right? You literally trust God. I'm, I'm asking you. You honestly and literally trust God with your eternity. Do you realize what a big deal that is? Why is it so many Christians trust God with their eternity, but they won't trust God with this cotton-picking, stupid little life they live? You think he can handle eternity? You think that once you die, you're dead. You understand that, right? You have zero control over anything. Worms crawl in your eyeballs and out your nose at their own will. you got no control. And you believe that God will take your soul and take care of it. That's a big deal. Folks, that's a huge deal. You understand what a big deal it is that we trust God with our soul. And it is such a small deal. It's such a ridiculous thing to trust God with our life. But we don't. We want to control everything. 
We want our will, not God's will. We think that when God gives us trouble, when God gives us affliction, when God lets bad things happen to us, that He's somehow unjust or unfair. We think we have to hover our children and put them in little bubbles to make sure nothing ever happens to our children because they're our kids. We're not, hey, they're not mine. If you think they're yours, stick around a little bit longer, okay? There comes a point when they got their eyes set on something else and it ain't staying in your basement. There's nothing you can do about it, okay? You can either just drive them away or you can let them move on. We joke about them moving on until they get close. <laughs> They're not mine. They're his. Yes, I would love to forever keep them right under my roof. An Abram tank in the front yard, pit bulls running everywhere. Understand what I'm saying? We're going to keep them safe. Folks, I don't want bad things to happen. I want to keep my life smooth and easy and calm and happy and carefree. And you know what? That's one of the biggest problems I got. Instead of just stepping back and saying, God, my life is not mine anyhow. It's yours to control. Paul trusted God with his life. He said, if I die, I die. We have a sentence of death in ourselves. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in God that raiseth the dead. So if I die early, big deal. I'm, I'm not that big of a deal. I, I like my life, but I'm really not that important. If I die, billions and billions and billions of people are never even going to know that I ever existed. I'm not trying to say that you don't matter and that I don't matter. I think we matter and I think God loves us and we're supposed to use our life for His glory, but we're not as big or as important as we think we are. So why not just say, God, the sentence of death. If I die, I die. You're God that raises the dead and since you got it all under control, my life is yours to control. He delivered from a great death, didn't he? And guess what else God does? See what he says in the present tense in verse 10? He doth deliver. You know what we forget in our problems? We forget in our problems that God's the one that does deliver us. You got problems? God's the one that gets you through them. So, so look at it like this. Let's look at the worst case scenario. What's the worst case scenario for us? It's death. I'm not belittling death. I understand. I, trust me, I understand more than, more than you may realize I understand. I'm not belittling death. But what I'm saying is that's the worst case scenario. Does God deliver from death? So why not trust Him? There's literally no point in not trusting God. And he will yet deliver us. You know, he's not done yet. He's going to deliver us some more. Look at verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, for that the gift was bestowed upon, gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So what he's saying is, is this. He said, God delivered us and God is going to deliver us some more. We got more problems coming and we know it. But when we were in that problem, you helped us. You helped us two ways. He said, you helped us by prayer. Folks, we don't fully grasp the importance of prayer. I just read through it in my own devotions. It's wild how Daniel got on his knees to pray. Gabriel was sent with, from, with a message from God. <laughs> he, he's just a man. You understand that? Just a man. Just like, you know, like you, just a man. Don't worship a man. Okay, I don't either. But he's just a man who was a man that had a lot of pressure in his life and a lot of misery in his life. He'd been hauled off into captivity as a kid. Think about even Timothy. You know, Paul's, Paul's Timothy. Pretty, pretty used to God, right? Got a book of the Bible about him. Where's his dad? says, thy mother and grandmother, no mention of his dad. 
I guarantee you something, even though God doesn't tell you, a man he used named Timothy had some personal problems in his life that broke his heart. I'll bet you anything. I'll bet you anything. Daniel, just a man, a lot of pressure, a lot of misery, gets on his knees to pray, and God in heaven is moved, and he's like, Gabriel, go. And the devil's like, uh-uh. Michael the archangel has to come, because the man's on his knees praying. Paul's in trouble. Paul, the apostle. A guy that you and I would assess is pretty important for him to stay alive, right? This is the guy you think needs to grow old, keep walking with God, keep getting more and more information from God so he can keep giving us what God's given him, right? It's like, God, don't take Paul early. We really want Paul here. Like, Paul's a key player, God. Like, I'm sure God gets along just fine after Paul died, but, you know, anyways, he's made it for a little while since then. But I would look at Paul as a key player, wouldn't you? Paul says, you helped us when we were almost dead. We thought we were going to die because your prayers got us through. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just suggesting to you from the way that's looking, something about prayer is pretty amazing. What would have happened if they hadn't prayed? I, I don't know. I can't say. I'm just saying, Paul says... You guys were in this. You helped us. You were in the problem with us. You pulled us through the situation by your prayers. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons. So not only did they pray, but it looks like they also gave to help them. So in other words, prayer is not your scapegoat to be cheap. You know, sometimes you pray about something and God makes you the answer to your prayer. (laughs) Lord, help that missionary, you know. Lord, help us get the addition done. Right? So he's saying, you made it happen. And he said, what happens as a result of that is many persons give thanks. God gets thanked because of what you did. So what came of it? The glory of God. God was glorified. Do you know all those people in that church couldn't possibly be an Apostle Paul? There's just no way. But Paul's saying, you helped us get through because you were praying. Now watch how that plays out here in just a minute. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in this world and more abundantly to you, word. Three areas, and you can write these notes down if you want to take them. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time because I'm doing pretty good on time and I want to get you out of here uh, pretty soon. So write these references down if you want to look them up later. Three areas you ought to make sure you have a clean conscience in. Number one is in your doctrine. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about the Bible? How do you view the Bible? Do you know the Bible? What do you believe and why do you believe what you believe? The reference for that is Acts 24, verses 14 through 16. Paul said that he always, after the manner in which they call heresy, so worship by the God of our fathers, believing all that is written in the law and the prophets. He said, my conscience is clean. They call me a heretic. They say I'm crazy for what I believe. I'm crazy for what I'm doing. They say we're that little cult church, you know. Because, because why? It's the matter they call. Because we believe the Bible. Verse by verse, word by word, every word of the Bible, we believe it. You know something about, I, I want to say this. I, I'm, I, I don't by any stretch of anybody's imagination, and I hope I don't come across this way, I don't think I'm even close to a perfect preacher or pastor or anything like that. I'll say this. I do not have one regret about my stand on the Bible. We've never undermined it. We've never suggested that it could be wrong. We believe it. Cover to cover, I try everything in my power to show you why I believe it. I wouldn't change one word if I could. Not one word. Any mistakes or errors they point out, I can find solutions and answers to what they claim to be an error. I don't I do not want I don't I, I don't one little tiny bit anywhere anywhere down deep in my soul have any regrets about my stand on the King James Bible, and I'm not changing. My conscience is clear. I have a clear conscience on rightly dividing the word of truth. I believe we got the truth. 
And I think if you don't rightly divide it, you're not studying it the way God said to study it. And I have a clear conscience on that. I want to always exercise myself to have a clear conscience in doctrine. Number two, in practice. That's 1 Timothy 3, 7. Uh, yeah, a good report of them which are without. I want my conscience clear in the way I live my life. So if something's questionable, I don't do it. Other Christians do, I don't. If it's even close, I just get away from the line. I just run from it. I just distance myself. Why? I want a clean conscience in my practice. The third one is in 1 Timothy 3, 6, in your spiritual walk. You should have a clean conscience in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3, 6. How's your, how's your relationship with the Lord? You love Him like you should? You're praying like you should? You're reading like you should? I, I, we can all do better, right? I'm not trying to overburden you. But where does the Lord rate in your life? How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? You should have a clean conscience about that. He said the testimony of our conscience, and notice this, that in simplicity and godly sincerity. You know what we've always done here? We've always kept it pretty simple. I plan on keeping it that way. I think even if we get three or four times as big as we are, I think we can still keep church simple. I think simple is better. I don't plan on convoluting the thing. I don't plan on creating a bunch of stuff God didn't create. I'm not saying we're not going to have youth group and, and Sunday schools and ministry. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I want to keep it simple, man. Like, like really, just what are we here for? Let's just keep it real, okay? Let's just be simple about it. Simplicity and godly sincerity. I want to be sincere. I, I don't want to be a fraud, man. I can't stand frauds. I can't stand them. There's a stinking guy at the gym that's just so nice to everybody. You know why he's nice to everybody? I can't stand the guy. I mean, I love him. I hope he gets saved and all that stuff. It's, I don't hate him, but I just can't stand him. I don't want to be around him. You know why he's nice to everybody? Because he's in a pyramid scheme. I said, no, man, I'm good. I'm trying to work out. Get out of here. You know, I didn't say it that way, but I kind of tried to send that message, right? All of a sudden, he's not, not interested anymore. And I watch him go, and it's so nice to everybody. Just Mr. Talky, 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 sweet to everybody. It's not sincere. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I want to be sincere. Not sincerely rude. I'm not saying you got to be a jerk, but I'm just saying I want to be the real deal. Not with fleshly wisdom. There's a lot of things that you can make make sense. Now, don't make it God's wisdom. I want the real thing, man. I want the real thing. I want to see another level. I want to see another dimension. I'm not talking about seeing things and shrooms and all the rest of that stuff. I'm talking about <laughs> when you giggle, you expose yourself. Just be quiet, you know. <laughs> not supposed to know what that is, right? Look, I'm not talking about seeing stuff. I'm talking about having God's view on things and being able to look past the superficial. Follow me? Godly wisdom. But by the grace of God, and man, folks, that is it. If you serve God and you make it through your troubles and you make it through the breaking process and God starts using you and putting you back together and doing something with your life, it is the grace of God. Do you understand that? I mean, we, folks, we got to understand that. Too many Christians think they got it together. I'm going to say that again. Too many Christians think they got it together. You, you don't have it together. I'm just telling you right now, you don't have it together. Your preacher's a soup sandwich. That's messy. You understand what I mean? Look, it's the grace of God that any of us make it through anything and that God uses any of us at all. The grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, words. So he's saying we walk consistently out there the same way we walk here. We love folks out there, but more abundantly here. Get it? Now watch verses 13 and 14 together and we'll be done. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. So stick with the book. We write none other things unto you. Stick with what God gave you. 
don't, don't get all distracted with all these extra... They're always finding Dead Sea Scrolls and extra biblical writings. Don't, don't, don't be doing that stuff. Keep it simple. Stay with what God gave you. Stay with your Bible. And look at verse 14. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, the day of the Lord Jesus is the rapture. You know what he said in verse 14? You've acknowledged us, you're our rejoicing when Jesus comes back. And we're your rejoicing. Now, think about that for a second. Paul got a lot done for God, didn't he? Pretty wild, pretty crazy how much Paul got done for it. Wouldn't you like to be a Paul? Be careful before you answer, you know. Ah. <laughs> yeah, man. That, I mean, okay. If the rapture happens now, wouldn't you like to be a Paul when you're standing before the Lord? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got a lot better response on that. Yeah, that'd be all right. But you know what he said in verse 14? He said, when the Lord comes, I'm rejoicing in you guys, and you guys are rejoicing in me. You know what I'm seeing in that? I'm seeing that God had them working together because they prayed Paul through, they gave to Paul, they supported Paul, they were a response to Paul's ministry. And so when the Lord shows up and they all get raptured in the day of the Lord, they're standing before God. Paul's like, man, Lord, these folks, I mean, I got on them because they were messed up, but they got it right and they kept it right. It's a good church. And they helped me out. They got me through, God. They prayed me through. So like I told you before, you, you know, you, you, you look and say, well, I wish I could do that. God doesn't evaluate things the way people do. You support the ministry. I get up and preach a message. Visitors come and get saved. We all rejoice when the Lord comes. It's not, oh, that was just Pastor Reagan's ministry. What did I do for God? You got an unbiblical perspective of this whole thing. That's why I told you a hundred times, you bring them in. And then I lead them to Christ in the office. I really believe I got my reward. I think they're yours at the judgment. Isn't that wild? Because God's view is, look man, these people got each other through. Does that make sense? That's ministry. Ministry means it's not all about me. I'm willing to suffer and find the comfort of God in my problems so that then later... I can use what I've been through to try to help somebody else who's going through it now. If I can keep one person going who is going to quit, what a joy that's going to be at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. To see them walk up and have me put my arm around them, and he made it, man. Yeah, but you helped me. Well, praise God, man, we made it, we're here. And God says, yeah, you helped him, he was going to quit, but I used you because you made it. And I'm like, yeah, but he helped me. And the Lord's like, oh, yeah, you did, didn't you? You helped him. I used you to help him, and he helped him. That's ministry. That's why as real Christians, we don't run from our problems, and we don't quit on God when we have them. We learn to get on our face and get closer to God in our problems and find that comfort. Learn something about God you didn't know before. And then later... Help somebody else learn something about God so they can be faithful and we all rejoice when He shows up. All right, we'll stop there for tonight and pick it up in verse 15 next week. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed.